Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Always Aggravated, a Mike Valenti signature podcast. So on this week's episode of Always Aggravated, we were lucky enough to get some time with ESPN's Jay Billis. He's the voice of reason in college basketball. Talk to him about his ongoing battle with the NCAA. Get his thoughts on Zion Williamson, of course. Talk a little tournament preview as well as his Billis index is out there. Just a whole bunch of basketball with a really, really smart dude. So here's our conversation with Jay Billis. I hate doing this to you because I had a different way I wanted to go to start this, but with the events of uh, what happened with Duke last night, I got to do it. I sure I give up. Like I just they have zombie blood. You you can't. I'm convinced they are as close to unbeatable as we will see this season. I've not, they are unbelievable. Yeah, it's a special group. Um, th- this is the best freshman class I've ever seen uh, in the years I've been doing this, and that, yeah, it doesn't mean they're better than Lou Alcindor's freshman group. Uh, it's a little little kind of before my time of evaluating this stuff, even though I was around to see it. Um, I, I just think this group is is unique in how mature, talented, and competitive they are. Um, I may differ with you a little bit. I don't think they're unbeatable, but if they if they play their game, if they play well, uh, there's only a handful of teams that can that can beat them. And if they play their best, then nobody beats them. Yeah, I, and that's – you know what it is, too? I mean, Jay, I, I got done. I watched, you know, Michigan State. All right, relief there. I'm a Spartan. we got to win at Cole Center, which never happens. I then watch Michigan lose, and I know what's going on in the Duke game. And then I flip over, and it's 56-36. And I go, let me stick with this for just a couple of minutes. What they did last night, that that is – and I know it's, like, cliche and it's kind of silly, but it is championship DNA. Like, it takes a special group, down 20 – on a night where Louisville looked great, that that group is unreal. It's just incredible the maturity. They're kids. No, it is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. I, you know, you don't want to take it too far. I mean, they're 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 really good. You don't want to start putting sort of uh, uh, characteristics of other teams that have worn that uniform in this one just because they made a spectacular comeback and Louisville had a spectacular collapse. I mean. You know, Iowa and Northwestern had a similar game. Uh, I'm not sure it was 23, but Iowa came back when they were dead in the water against Northwestern, wound up winning the game. And, and you, know, you know, you and I aren't suggesting that Iowa's got championship DNA. They're really, they're, they're very good and have a chance to be good, very good. But, but Duke has, has won a couple games where you thought, well, they shouldn't win this one. And uh, Florida State, they, they probably shouldn't have won that. And, uh, and then they've had games where they've played, uh, when they played really well from the jump, when you're going, nobody beats them if they play like this. Like their game against Kentucky to start the season, and then the last Saturday against uh, against Virginia. Yeah. Like, look, I don't know anybody that that went into that game saying, well, you know, Duke's going to hit, they're going to hit 50 percent of their threes, let alone 13 of 21. And Virginia and uh, and Louisville play essentially the same half court defensive scheme. And one game they they're the Golden State Warriors, and the next game they couldn't have hit water if they fell out of a boat for 30 minutes and. Uh, they put a press on, and uh, Louisville kind of kind of wet themselves, and and they wound up winning. It was a, but it was an, ex- you know, you can have a team that 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 collapses like Louisville did, and other teams still can't take advantage of it. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to win a game down twenty three, even when the other team's helping you do it, and uh, and so you got to give Duke a lot of they're special. And if you didn't if you didn't see it before, I, I felt like I did see it before, but uh, but it was confirmed for everybody there. It was funny. I remember you were on with Van Pelt, and it was in November, and I think it was after that Kentucky game, and, and you, you were asked to describe Zion, and, and all it was was, oh, my God. And it's just so rare. I mean, we're in mid-February. I'm still doing that. I mean, just give me a comparative. I've said he's the best since Unibrow as far as that type of prospect. I've never seen anything like this kid, though. He's so different. He is different. Um, I'd still take Anthony Davis first, uh, okay. uh, if if you had a choice between those two. Um, but but Zion is is unique in his his makeup, his athleticism, 
the way he impacts the game. It's different than than Anthony Davis. Like Anthony Davis is a better shooter, better um, you know he's he's a little bit more skilled, uh, definitely a better rim protector, rebounder, all that stuff. He he's he's built for this game. Zion is is just. It, at his size, meaning 280, 285, there's never been anybody that can move like him at that, that size. And when we make comparisons, you know, I mean, I'm not casting aspersions on anybody, but the truth is when, when you compare him against somebody, he's just making it up. And we're, yeah. trying to, we're trying to come up with some sort of bionic man makeup saying, well, he's a little bit of this guy, he's a little bit of that guy. We're making it up. There's never been anybody like him. No, I mean, that, and, that play uh, at Virginia, I mean, Jay, I, I was in awe coming from the opposite side of the paint on a recovery block as a 280-pound man. I've never in my life seen that, and I've watched basketball since I was six years old. I just – my mouth was open. Yeah, LeBron's the only other guy that, that I've seen do that. But, but yeah, it's – you know, he's he's jaw-dropping uh, television or, or went in person – you know, I couldn't wrap my head around him when when I watched him play in Canada for for a week uh, during the summer, and uh, you know, you just kind of say that there's no way a guy that big can do that. That 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 uh, I'm not seeing this right. And people would say, well, who do you you know who does he remind you of? And I go, Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> um, but but you couldn't you couldn't come up with a comp. There's there's never been a guy like him to play basketball ever. So uh, some other things in, in college basketball, because I've got so much I want to cover, but but give me the team that you believe has a legitimate chance to win it all that is just being totally underrated right now in that mid-February lull in the season. I don't know who's being underrated. That's kind of a hard one. I mean, you know, Tennessee's number one. They, they can win it all, but they, they haven't been talked about as much as Duke. Um, Gonzaga's not being discussed as much as they should be, and they're still really legit. But after you get past that, there, there aren't a ton of teams. Like, there's half a dozen teams that I think are favorites to, to get to Minneapolis and have a chance to win. Outside of that, there, there are teams that if they get some help in their bracket, if they get hot, could, could it happen? Yeah. But, uh, but I, I think it's kind of a long shot um, yeah. to, to win it all. Now, to, to, to have a great run in the tournament, like you know, Marquette can get to Minneapolis and be a great story, and they can really score. Houston's really good. Uh, you know, Nevada's really good. Um, could you see that happen? Absolutely. Um, but, but I don't see, I see a lot of good teams out there. I don't see a lot of excellent teams that are, that you're going, man, I'll, I'll, I'll put my money on that team. They're just, they're a half dozen. And then everybody else is a tier below that, that has a chance to do something special, but you, you're not banking on it. No, it's interesting. You brought up Gonzaga because I, I don't, I, I don't know. I leave it to you. I, I don't think they're quite as good as that 15-16 team, but they're really good. And you're right. Even after all these years, it's like we as a media just haven't learned. Like, they're legit. And they're every time I watch them, I come away impressed. I guess that's the best way to put it. And I, I kind of circled them as that one team that maybe, because I just do feel like it's it's Dukes to lose. Well, it's nobody's to lose. I mean, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think they're the best team. And uh, but Tennessee's right there, and, and you know all it takes in the tournament, as you know, is one one lousy shooting game. Like if they if they shoot the way they did uh, against Louisville uh, and play you know play offensively that way, they're going to get beat in the tournament. They, you know they can't have a game like that; they'll get beat. Uh, you know because you're not going to see a team in the NCAA tournament is going to give that that kind of game away like that. Um, but I kind of liken it a little bit to football, where you know we talk about Alabama and. Uh, who's going to beat Alabama and, and all that stuff. And then they got their doors blown off in the championship game. They, they didn't play well. And they got beat. But some of the other teams, you're saying, hey, you know, nobody's talking about Oklahoma or nobody's talking about this team. Well, there's, there's a reason they're not talking about it. It's because some other teams are, are, are more spectacular in the way they're going about it. And, you know, usually the media, like, look, we may not be, we not, may not be the smartest bunch, but we're not a bunch of lemmings. I mean, you know, we go with what we see, and uh, and you know, I've been around the block a few times, and I've I've seen a lot of basketball teams, and I, I know special when I see it, and and Duke has a chance to be special this year. Um, but for those who, like you know, you probably hear the same things I do. You, you'll have you know older guys like me sit around saying, well, you know, I you know, the one and done culture. I mean, I I like it the way it used to be, where you could grow up watching, you know, you uh, watch the team grow up together, and the class came, they stayed together for four years, and then when they were seniors, well, then you should love Tennessee. 
So if you're not talking about the, if if that's your attitude and you're mm-hmm. not talking about Tennessee, that's on you. I just feel like we've gotten and I'm no, I, I agree with you totally. I just feel like we're always in a sea of talking points. Like like when people it's like they don't realize what they're saying. They're just going with it. There's these buzzwords and these terms, and that's what's so tiresome is because you're right. If you do just watch the games, you'll get more of what you want out of it. But people would rather just bellyache about what you just said, things like one-and-done culture or, or even at the NBA level, oh, the players have too much power. And it's like that that's a very small amount. Like, think before you say it. Yeah, but most people don't watch the games. You know, the, the folks that say they don't like the NBA don't watch the NBA, so they don't know what a great product it is. That's yep. fine. They're allowed to do that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I recently was hearing my friends and colleagues, you know, kind of rail on people who said the Super Bowl was boring. And they said, no, it was great. It was, it was old-style football and great defense. Okay, well, that's great, but you're a football guy. You, you like football, that's great. But if the masses said they were bored by it, how do you argue with that? And uh, look, basketball is a great. It's my favorite sport. It's great, and uh, but but I can't expect everybody to consume it exactly the same way. And look, like back in the day, like years ago, people would say, "Well, you know, uh, things were different back in the day." There was only one game on a week when I was a kid. You know, n- now every game's on television. So um, you know, look, we we have more to consume. There are more media outlets talking about it. So is, is there's more great coverage now than there's ever been. It's more in-depth. It's better than ever. But because there are more outlets, there's more nonsense than there's ever been, too. Oh. So every, there, there's more of everything. Now, that I, I agree with. No, you mentioned the coverage. There, there was two guys I wanted to get your take on. I know you're a fan of one, and if you've commented on the other, I, I've missed it. But one is I know you're a Marcus Howard guy. I, he is – I'll tell you, that kid was impressive. Uh, when I caught him a couple times early earlier this year for Marquette, I wanted your spin on him and kind of what you think he can become. Marcus Howard is 19 years old. He's younger as a junior than a lot of these freshmen are that that you know stay in in high school and all that stuff, and they don't start school until late. Um, he's he's still a very young player, and even though I'm not saying one is you know that 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 he's better than than this guy, but what what is he doing that Trey Young? Uh, you know, what is he not doing that Trey Young did last mm-hmm. year? I mean, he, he scores more efficiently, his team wins more, and he puts up better numbers than Trey Young did. He's not, he's not the assist guy he was, and I think Trey Young's a, a better player. But, but this guy is every bit as exciting as Trey Young, if not more so. And, and he doesn't seem to be getting quite the, the, the credit. But now part of that is that Zion Williams has taken all the air out of the room. Um, you know, when you've got a, a, a guy at that level – you know, it's kind of like saying, "Well, how come how come the NBA doesn't talk about Paul George more when you got LeBron James in the in the league?" Um, you know, there's there's some of that going on too, but but Marcus Howard is fantastic, and he's a that's a spectacular team to watch because they're fearless uh, in in taking open shots and and they keep opposing offenses or defenses completely off balance, and they're much better defensively than they've ever been uh, under Steve Ojowski. They're, they're they're top ten good. And uh, and they're no fun to play against. No, you're right, and they got a toughness about them. They don't quit. They get down eight, six to go, and they're exactly the type of team that battles back. It's just they're they're a fun team. That's when you circle for March. I could see them doing something. Yeah, they're not afraid of the consequences of missing. They right. they will take they will take any shot, any good shot, and they're not worried about missing it. They're thinking about making it. And uh, and they uh, they play together. Um, they're unselfish, and they've got some very good role players like Sikar Annam and and Theo John have done a great job making them a better defensive team. And you know Joey and Sam Hauser are are both excellent uh, shooters and playmaking forwards that can that can pass it, and they're trustworthy. Um, you know Sam Hauser is one of the underrated players in the country that uh, that can really play. Give me your spin on John Morant, because obviously Murray State, you know, racer basketball is not exactly out there very often. I've only seen him once. I came away wildly impressed. I wanted your take, though. He's Russell Westbrook. Um, he's, a, he's a great athlete. You know, he's leading the nation in assists, and people kind of forget that because he scores so many points and he, he gets on Center because of all his dunks. Uh, but he's just one of those guys that was under-recruited and wound up at Murray State and has been absolutely spectacular as a result. He was very good last year. He had a nice year. Um, but I don't think anybody anticipated that, okay, he's going to be, he's going to explode, uh, you know, from last year to this. And he has. 
Um, he's just got great length. I mean, you know, if you watched him, I, I think the best places to watch him play are when he's played against uh, Power Five teams. So they played uh, Murray State played both Auburn and in uh, Alabama this year, and he lit them up and and made other outstanding athletes look like they were standing still in those games. And uh, so he he's legit. He's going to be a top five pick. My um, guess is he'll he'll go right behind. Uh, R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson in the, in the draft. Um, that's how that's how good he he is and will be. All right, a quick break just to talk about our launch sponsor. It's the D Las Vegas. You're looking to get away, relax, have a good time. D Las Vegas has everything you need. I mean, hell, we're there every March for March Madness, and as I've said before, there ain't no better setup on the strip, off the strip. It don't matter. Go to the D. Go to that chalet upstairs. It ain't nothing better. Bottom line, next time you go to Vegas, check out the D.com. Completely renovated. Downtown is not what you remember. Hell of a lot of new places. It's it's a damn good time. There's really no other way to put it. And again, the D has everything you need. You're not going to spend a ton of money on the room. Take that money and go do fun things with it. Do what Sully does. Make a bunch of losing basketball bets. Or, well, or for Sully, fall asleep on the horse racing machine on the second floor vintage casino. The bottom line, the D's got it all. They got the sports book. They got the long bar. They got it all. Check it out, thed.com, to book your stay today. It's thed.com, the D Las Vegas. And as you know, it is your home for Detroit sports in Vegas. I wanted to change gears because I think one of my one of my favorite things that, that you've done is you've come out openly and logically against the NCAA. And I enjoy it because that's I can't stand them. And it's always reassuring to see someone like yourself, who's the voice of reason in this game, go against them. But I wanted to just kind of see where things were um, now. Like, you fought them for so long, and it's – do you see a light at the end of the tunnel that we are going to begin to take care of these athletes and pay them? Do you feel like we are any closer to change or no? Yeah, we are. Um, it's going to happen. It's just a question of when and how. It's not going to – it's going to happen over – sort of the, you know, the cold dead hand thing, you know, with the NCAA, they're not going to, they're never going to relent um, because they hold all the money now. They don't want to. And, uh, and so why should they give up? Uh, and, and it's kind of like the old thing from, you know, I've been showing my age here, but like from Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, you know, uh, if they just give the players the, the money they're spending to keep from paying them, they'd have more than enough to pay them. You know, they're spending so much money in lawsuits and all this stuff when they've been found in multiple cases to have violated federal antitrust law. They're, they're continuing to fight, and, uh, and that's fine. They can do whatever they want. And look, I'm not fighting the, the NCAA. They can do whatever they want. I'm commenting on it. You know, I, it's my job as a basketball analyst for ESPN to cover the game. And so I cover the game on the court. I cover it off the court. And so I've, I've covered, um, you know, issues of, of NCAA policy. I used to be involved in it. I was a, I was a member of, an, uh, of the NCAA long-range planning committee when I was in school. I'm on an NCAA competition committee now. Um, you know, I, I cover this stuff. So I'm really not, you know, fighting them. I'm just commenting on what they do. And, and to me, if, if their policies were so good, they should be able to justify them. And, uh, and I think they're having a hard time doing that. Well, yeah, it's funny. One of my favorite quotes, it's, you know, paraphrasing what you just said. You said, yeah, they make their own rules and they're all bad. And it's, it's, it's the truth. And it's, I mean, anytime I bring this up and whether it's the football side, the basketball side, I get these three things that are brought up to me. And I, and I, I openly want you to shoot these down because you do it in a way that is just uh, probably better than me. It, the first thing I'll get from callers is what well, we'd need to cancel all other sports. We would need uh, we need to or would have to. Well, they they claim oh you'd have to. There's no way we could afford it. Yeah, that that's nonsense. That's exactly. Nonsense. Uh, I mean, no 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 reasonable economist would agree with that. You know, the 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 money keeps going up uh, and has for for decades and decades. It's a multi billion dollar business, and they've been saying that for you know from when I was a player. And yet, coaching salaries, facility spending, all skyrocket. And it's it's remarkable how how every uh, Division one institution. Their their costs rise in lockstep with their revenues, and you know that's not the way the economy works. I mean, we're, you know, you make you make all this money, and all of a sudden your expenses go way up. That, that's they're just spending whatever they get and saying we don't have any money left over. And the truth is, most of their money goes back to the school. So you know, I mean, I don't mean to be simplistic here, but but the the an athletic department will say, well, our biggest cost is scholarships. 
well, where does the scholarship money go? Well, they pay it to the school. So it's just a money transfer from one university account to another, and then the athletic department says, well, we don't have any money left. Well, of course they do. It's, you know, it's in another account. And uh, so, look, there's plenty of money to go around here. And, uh, and nobody says when a coach gets a, you know, when a, coach gets a, a multi-million dollar contract and they're paying, they're paying uh, assistant coaches now you know, $2 million, a $1 million to, to coach football, Nobody says, well, there goes the wrestling program. You know, it's not connected in that way. What would it look like in, in your ideal? You know, from a monetary standpoint, is there a figure you've ever thought of and said, look, th- this would be the number, this is what it would look like. What would it be if I could put you in charge of it right now in Jay Billis's world? It would be a free market. Do whatever you want. Like, what, what would it look like? What do coaches' salaries look like? You know, if I had told you in 1985 or 86 when I was coming out of college, Hey, someday we're going to be paying coaches seven, eight, ten million dollars a year. You would have looked at me like I was crazy, um, but we're doing it because the revenues are there, and and these coaches are commanding that in the marketplace. Now we, we could make the same arguments that we make with players and say and say, well, you know, uh, the 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 value is in the school, and uh, and you know these players the players don't have value, so coaches do. How do coaches have value? If the value's in the school, they should be able to lowball offer all the coaches and have them work for next to nothing. Um, it's not the way it works. And uh, uh, these coaches are commanding uh, uh, big salaries because it's a multi-billion-dollar mm-hmm. business, and and the revenues are that high. And people people want to want to say, well, the players can't get anything because uh, their their compensation would be tied to profit. Yet no one else's is. And they say, well, the players get enough. They get a, they get a scholarship. There it is. That, well, that's, okay. that, that, that was one of my big three. Jay, uh, doing a radio show every day and arguing that players should be paid for a decade, having that thrown in my face is the most galling thing of all. It's like, just stop. They are not a regular student. They don't get to cash that thing in. Just stop. I hate when well, I it hear doesn't that. bother me. It, you know, what, what people's arguments are don't bother me. I mean, I, I think it's an uninformed view. That, that's just sort of reflexive that says, you know, they get enough. And, and, you know, you, meanwhile, you want to say, well, to whom else do you say that? You know, is there anyone else you say you get enough, you should get no more as a, as a class, not, not as an individual, like, look, whatever, whatever school you, you know, you're in Detroit. So whatever, Hey, if, if Michigan doesn't want to pay their coaches, then don't pay. They can all be volunteers. If you don't want to pay your players, don't pay. If you don't want to build facilities, don't do it. That's fine. You can do whatever you want. The problem is that, that the, the, the entire NCAA structure makes it a, a cartel rule that nobody can. Mm-hmm. And, and the only class that they're, they're, they're restricting are athletes. And you know, when, you look back, when you look at it and say, well, you can't compare coaches and, and players because uh, uh, the coaches are employees and the players are just students. All right, well, compare them to other students. Other students get scholarships. Like a lot of other students get scholarships. They have zero restrictions as to what they can accept or what they can earn, for, even from their own school. They can get, they can take whatever they want, and and it doesn't affect their status as a student. They can be employees of the university. They can be employees of a. a they can have full time jobs if they want. They can write books. They can appear in movies. They can do whatever the hell they want, and and it doesn't affect their status as a student. But we've claimed somehow, by virtue of this amateurism ideal that players should not get anything more than we say so, uh, we the NCAA. And that, that has changed over time. Um, so we can sell them for whatever we want, but they can't accept anything. And, uh, and that, that, to me, is wrong to the point of immoral when they're, when they're on the block and being sold for billions of dollars and everybody else is getting, getting wealthy off it. Like, and I have no problem with how much coaches make. I applaud that. I'm just saying let the players compete in that same marketplace and – and, uh, and, hey, if they're worthless, then you don't have to worry about it. Where do you think the game is, though, let's say in a, in a five-year spread or a 10-year spread? Do you think we will get to this point, or do you think we are further out? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think we are getting closer and closer, and the courts are not deferring to the NCAA like they used to. I think the courts are seeing this for what it is now. It's, it, but, but you can imagine, like, not many judges nor do many administrators want to be the ones that say, okay, well, it's time. You know, they're even struggling. That's why we're having all this discussion about transfers. Uh, they get it. Like the NCAA gets it. They're, they're, they're saying we better start letting these guys go 
Because if we don't, then the courts are really going to say, hey, you are, you are treating these, these players like they're your employees and, and assets. And, and you're restricting them when you don't do that to any other student. And so that's why this is happening, uh, where, where the transfer portal and all these other things, they get it. They know that, man, this is going to hurt our amateurism case in the future. We need to stop doing this. And so they're, they're punting on all these other things. Unlimited, now, unlimited food. Five years ago, if you gave unlimited food to a player, you would have been sanctioned beyond your wildest fears uh, by the NCAA for, for violating their rules. Um, you know, if you if you gave players uh, the clothing they're allowed to be given now or the stipend, five years ago a stipend would have would have gotten you near a death penalty from the NCAA. Now it's just student athlete welfare, and they're doing that because they want to keep from paying them. That's all it is. Uh, it's not some benevolent gift where they're going, you know what, we really start yeah. need to take to better care of these kids. <laughs> they're doing it because they don't want to pay. And, and and I get it. I understand why they're doing it. And uh, But, but you know, we're heading down that road. They're just trying to stave it off as long as they can. It, so it, it's separate of the, the, the players getting paid rightfully. It, let, let, let's put that aside for a minute. What would the what would the biggest the next biggest issue in the game for you today be? On the floor or off? Let's go off first. Uh, just the players having, you know, having the same economic rights as, as anyone else, including any other student. Um, you know, you'd like to see the players allowed to uh, work with who they like, to have agents, to have business relationships, uh, to be able to do what every other, every other American is allowed to do, including every other student. You know, there, there, there are not these restrictions on other students. And, you know, if, if any individual school wants to say, hey, none of our students are allowed to work, uh, uh, they all have to do this, that, or the other, fine. Have your own rules at your own school and see how it works out for you. That's fine. Um, uh, but I would, also, I would also want these schools to be allowed to do what they want in, in sort of educating their students and, and if they want to welcome them back. Like if a, if a player goes into the draft, and decides after going through the draft process that they want to come back to school, I say welcome them back. Why would we care? Right. Why are we putting all this? Why are we putting this bright line on somehow? You know, if you flirt with a professional uh, endeavor, you can never come back. Meanwhile, we're telling CEOs come to our MBA program. It's lifelong learning. But boy, if you dribble a ball uh, with a professional, we don't want you back again. And if you're if you don't want to be Bill Bradley, we don't we don't want you back. I mean, there there are certain racial uh, um, uh, racial elements that go with this that make me very uncomfortable, and I, I just don't like. No, I'm see. I'm glad you touched on that, but it, it's also too just part of the point you're making. It's supposed to be all about the players' welfare, right? The student athlete welfare. Well, if a guy goes out and and looks at a possible uh, promotion, which the NBA would be, and it doesn't work out, why would you? How is it in the players' best interest to then? have them have to go overseas to play or go to the G League. You should welcome them back and say, hey, it didn't work out. Come back to school. We got you for another year, and, and let's, let's develop. It's just it's this level of insanity that I never have wrapped my head around. Yeah, and, and it, it all ties back to this ridiculous notion of amateurism. And, and as you know, amateurism uh, is nothing more than the moneyed elites not wanting to compete against the common man back in the day. So if you made the sports amateur, the common man couldn't afford to play, and only the rich folks could with their handlebar mustaches and all that stuff. Um, that's and that's how it came into college sports. Came in through the Ivy League. Um, you know, the 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 money deletes didn't want to play against the, the the unwashed masses. That's all it was, and and we've carried it forward. Um, but you know, it, it's it's sort of this thing where we're, we're letting it we're letting it run everything, it, and yet. I'd be okay with it if if we ran college sports like Division three, and uh, you know, and people they, you know people paid their own way and they didn't sell they didn't sell tickets to the NCAA tournament and all that stuff. You know, you, you tickets are free to the the Division three NCAA tournament. They don't even sell them. Um, that's fine if you want to do it that way. And it's more like high school sports that, that just participation. Great, do it that way. But if you're going to make it into a multi-billion dollar business, let the players have a part of it. And, and sort of the last thing, and I, I think this is, this may be the most important thing in my judgment, is right now, based upon the whim of, of federal prosecutors, the violation of NCAA rules is now seen as a federal crime that carries jail time with it, prison time. And based on what? 
just the fact that we have NCAA rules. There's no federal law that's been violated. It's only NCAA rules that were violated, and it's been somehow twisted into a, a, a violation of federal law. It would no longer be a crime if the NCAA said it was legal. Um, that, that's all this is. So why would we want our people in harm's way like that? Over what? Because, because we don't want some kid getting a, getting a few bucks. Um, you know, we think it's so awful that we're in, you know, all of the institutions are in bed with these shoe companies, but boy, if a player gets something, people need to go to prison. Uh, I find that unpalatable and I think it needs to be changed. I, I just, I think we're making, uh, we're making like mountains out of ridiculous molehills. And look, I mean, I, I'm not naive. Things are no different now than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. If people think that Sam Gilbert at UCLA wasn't paying the players, they're fooling themselves. They were, and everybody knows it. This has been going on forever, and uh, and now we're pretending that it's some new thing. It's not new. Uh, it's been happening forever. It's been happening in football. It, it's been happening in basketball. Um, and now, now all of a sudden, it seems like it's it's a crisis, and it's just this, it's just business as usual. Hey, what's up, guys? Sully here, and want to take a moment talk to you about Coppercraft, our friends over at Coppercraft Distillery. If you haven't tried them yet, you need to give it a give it a try. Whether you like bourbon, whether you like whiskey, they got vodka, they got gin for Wojo, perfect for him. Whatever you want to try, they got a lot of great products. And by the way, I just met with Brandon and Kim at the folks at Coppercraft the other day. Got a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stuff planned for this upcoming year. So we're going to keep you posted on that. But if you haven't given it a try, Stop by your local restaurant. Stop by your local party store, your local grocery store. Try out Coppercraft. It's made in Holland, Michigan, west side of the state. They do a really, really nice job, guys. I'm a bourbon guy. My friends have tried all of it as well. Really nice product. A lot of fun with your friends. Coppercraft Distillery, Holland, Michigan. You also have been quoted saying it. I mean, the NCA knew then, know now, and will know in the future. They know what's going on. They just choose to whistle by the graveyard. Yeah, I mean, and I don't, it's not in a sinister fashion. It's just that they're doing business. And, and you know, like last year when a bunch of names turned up in, in, uh, in the Andy Miller, the agent's ledger, um, everybody's cleared in 48 hours. And, and, but now when, you know, in some of these other cases, you know, Silvio DeSoso was made to sit out all this time and now is declared ineligible for next year and the year after. He didn't do anything wrong. Um, and, and just because Cam Newton didn't get caught now, all of a sudden Silvio DeSouza is going to be mistreated. That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and it, it goes totally against like, what's going to, what's going to happen with that young man? Like, th- does it matter that he may drop out of school? Same thing with Dewan Hernandez at, uh, at Miami, you know, the kid took a hotel room from, uh, from, uh, uh, Christian Dawkins took a hotel room and, and he's been, he's ineligible for all of this year. And, and, and I think. 40% or half of next year. And he's not, you know, he's, he's already said he's going to go into the NBA draft. Is that what we want? We want to chase a kid out of school that wants to stay. Um, that, that just, that, that drives me crazy. I think it's the wrong thing to do. Similarly to, to the penalties at Missouri and how those were, those were handled because, because we're mad that, that our rules didn't cover North Carolina. I, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't mean that the people in the NCAA structure are bad people. They're not. These are just bad policies, and they need to change. You know, you had mentioned a, a racial element, and I, I am a big believer in that. And again, it's just doing the course of, of my daily job. I, I have said, like, there is this anger both towards college athletes and college football and college basketball um, and towards the NBA where players now have power and players can control their destiny. And I have said, I think there is a, a racial element to this where it is young black players having power and having real motivation to overturn the table that has been there for so long. But I, I wanted to know if that's kind of the angle you were going at or if you'd go a little deeper into your, your statement uh, a few moments ago. Again, it's something that I don't feel is sinister, but, but if, if we believed race, if some believes race is not a factor in this, I think they're fooling themselves. Of course it's a factor. I mean, all you have to do is go back to a few years ago when the stipend was being discussed. And if, if you'll remember uh, when, when, when it was being uh, legislated and discussed that, that 
uh, schools should be allowed to, not required to, give a stipend in addition to, to the scholarship. There were those out there predicting doomsday. If we do this, then uh, sports are going to be dropped and, and uh, you know, college athletics will cease to, cease to exist as we know it. And you, had, you had administrators saying, some publicly, some saying it privately, uh, but some said it publicly, and, and, and we can go out and get it if you need it. Uh, the idea that, hey, man, you, you give players, uh, you know, a few thousand bucks uh, in addition to that. It's not like they're going to they're going to buy books with it. They're just going to they're just going to go to uh, Best Buy and buy headphones and and stuff like and, and Xboxes. And, you know, that had a racial connotation to it. Um, you know, first of all, who cares what they buy? It's their money. And we're not we're not asking what they're doing with money they get from their parents. Um, uh, but, you know, of course there was. And same thing with the one and done culture. You know, we, we like to blame, we being the NCAA structure, like right now, we like to blame all of our ills on one and done. Boy, if we get rid of these one and dones, then a lot of this goes away. We get rid of the players, like that's a lot of this goes away. The players who don't want to be in college. Some people don't belong in college. Well, what does that mean? You know, nobody said that to Jordan Spieth. You know, he left after one year. Um, you know, that, that's never brought up in, in any, other, any other case when baseball players go or all that stuff. It's only, it's only when we talk about basketball players. And uh, and there is definitely a racial racial element to that. Now again, I don't feel like it's sinister. I feel like it's ignorant, but it's there, and uh, and and I don't like it. I'm very uncomfortable with people saying I've always railed against this. It really bothers me when I hear administrators say some people don't belong in college. With all the colleges, universities, and junior colleges and the like that we have in this country, everybody belongs in college. Now, they may not belong in your college. That's fine. Uh, you, you make your own decisions as to how, uh, you know, sort of uh, exclusive or elite or whatever selective you want to be. But everybody belongs in college, and all these players should be encouraged to go to college and stay as long as they can. And if they want to leave and go, go pursue their dream, then we should welcome them back whenever they want to come back. Um, uh, th- that's always bothered me. And, and I, I, look, I hear this the undertones of this basically on the one and done culture. If you don't want to be Bill Bradley and stay here four years, we don't want you because that's what they're saying. And, uh, and I find that uh, very unpalatable. Yeah. And it, 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 I think you can draw the parallels too to the whole shut up and dribble mindset, you know, where LeBron found himself in that realm of being, well, look, you're just a player. You can't comment. No players can comment on social issues. These players are opinion leaders. They have a voice. They have every right to do it. And you do see that blowback when players choose to comment on important issues. I don't think it would happen if the shoe's on the other foot. But when it is this... No, it would not. You're right. And, and similarly, you hear this a lot with regard to the transfer uh, debate right now. Um, you hear a lot of, well, uh, you know, these players um, will hopscotch to the nef- next thing the first time that, that, that they hit adversity. And they don't, they oftentimes do not have um, the, the structure and the help they need, the, the support at home to be able to make the right decision with regard to these transfers. And you're like, wait a minute. So they can be trusted to choose your school in the first place with no experience with college. None. Like no high school player has experience with college. But yet after being in college, they can't be trusted to make their decision as to their well-being, whether they want to stay or leave. After having experience in college, you know, that, that just doesn't, that, that, that's wrong. And, and it's being said by football coaches like crazy. Basketball coaches are saying it. And look, I get it. Their job is difficult, but they're well compensated. And, but their job is difficult. Keeping rosters together is no fun. It used to be a lot easier. It's a lot harder now. Well, you know what? Tough. Like the players should be allowed to go when they want to go. They are unpaid amateurs, according to the NCAA, and they're students to be treated like any other student. If they want to leave, they should be allowed to leave and they should be allowed to play the next year. There's no reason for them to have some sort of penalty. Um, uh, you know. And look, we can have reasonable rules as to when you need to notify and when you need to go. I'm not suggesting that you, know, you should be able to make your mind up the day before school starts that, that, that you, know, you can go wherever you want. I'm not suggesting that. But, but there's no reason for players to, to have to sit out a year when they decide to transfer. Um, it's just not right. It, it's a, it's the equivalent of a non-compete provision in an employment contract, and those are negotiated and paid for, and and these aren't. 
I, I want to. Now I know we don't have snowshoes, and we're not in Spartan Stadium, but I, I put together just a brief, you know, ninety-four feet of our own. I just had this collection of things, a lot of them to do with your career, because Jay, I'll be honest with you, in in just. I followed you for a long time. It's just researching a few things. I, I like. Do you ever sleep? When I look at all the things you're involved with, how the hell do you manage it? How do you keep yourself together here? I sleep all the time. I I, I sleep very well, and luckily, uh, uh, my wife sleeps better than I do. So uh, sleep is not a problem for me. I just so all right. One thing I I, I noted, and I never realized it. I guess, and shame on me. But you got your law degree while you were an assistant for Coach K. How do you manage to pull that off? It, it really wasn't that hard. I mean, I don't want to dissuade anybody of the notion that uh, that I was you know down in the salt mines working twenty four hours a day and and walked uphill to school both ways in the snow. But it really wasn't that hard. Um, the the hard thing about law school was uh, the first year I was afraid all the time because uh, I was afraid that I wasn't going to know what I needed to know when I needed to know it. And uh, and after I got through my first year, it really the first semester of law school, and I realized, okay, I can handle this. Uh, but it, there were some trying times uh, there, but, uh, but I figured, oh, okay, I can do this. Um, uh, then it became a lot easier, and I could, I could uh, manage my time pretty well. And now, I was either in the gym, in the office, or I- at school. Uh, I didn't have a lot of free time, but, uh, but I'm glad I had basketball uh, with regard to law school, and I'm glad I got my law degree um, because it's been my law degree outside of playing basketball and, and meeting my wife and all that uh, has probably been the best thing I've ever done. And, uh, and I kind of got dragged kicking and screaming into it a little bit. I, I really didn't want to go. I wanted to keep playing pro basketball. Uh, overseas, and I wanted to play 10, 12 years over there. But but after my third year as a pro, I got this offer and and got accepted into law school. And and my my dad, uh, both my parents were kind of look. You you need to do this. This is important. You need to you need to take advantage of this. And and so I did it. Winter's here, and that means energy bills are rising. You can reduce your power bill with help from Power Home Solar, the number one residential solar provider in Michigan and one of the top solar installation companies in the entire USA. Power Homes installs American-made panels with a 30-year warranty. It allows you to own your power, not just continually rent it from a power company. As an official partner of the Detroit Lions, the company installed solar panels at Ford Field, and the Allen Park facility earlier this year and seeks to continue building a movement towards cleaner, greener energy by seeing if solar is right for your home. Go to powerhome.com. That's powerhome.com. Or you can give them a call, 1-800-SOLAR-15. That's 1-800-SOLAR-15 to schedule your free solar consultation today. Don't rent your power. Own it with help from Powerhome. What what brought you? Because when you were when you decided to go to Duke, it wasn't really common for kids to go three thousand miles away to school. What what brought you from California to Duke versus staying on the West Coast? Yeah, as as kind of odd as this sounds, it was really Coach K. I mean, I I hate to say that I I didn't value Duke University as much as I should have, but I just didn't. You know, I was one of those guys that felt like oh, you know, all these schools have the same books in the library. It's, It's not that different. And, and all I need to do is find the coach I want to play for. And, and I'm, I'm almost positive that, that he'll be at a good school. And, uh, you know, I did not have the best high school coach. I, had a, I played on a great high school team with all my best friends, but our coach was a, a nightmare. And, uh, and I decided at that time that when I was done with that, that, uh, you know, the only time in my basketball life that I was going to get to choose who I played for was college. So I wasn't going to screw that up. And I came down to four guys, and it was uh, uh, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, Lute Olson was at Iowa at the time, Ted Owens at Kansas, and uh, and Coach K. And uh, and I, you know, the truth is, I like Coach K the best, even though of of those four guys, he was the least well known and the least accomplished. Um, uh, everybody else had been to a Final Four, and uh, you know had a had a, a really really strong track record. And Coach K was was two years in at Duke and had a losing record. You know, you mentioned finding that moment that that law school it clicked for you. And it, what, when did you realize that TV was going to be your future? Like, hey, I'm really good at this, and don't tell me you're not because we know you are. So, when was the moment you said, "Hey, 
this this is the ticket here. Well, I mean, I wanted to do it when I was in high school. It was something that I, and I don't know how it happened. I think I was just one of those guys. Like at the time, Frank Gifford was like a big deal. Pat Summerall, former athletes that had um, had gone into broadcasting and, and, and been successful. So, you know, I, I when I was asked about it, you know, you'd get, people do an article on you, some hotshot high school player. They'd say, well, what do you want to do after basketball? And I always said broadcasting because I didn't know what else to say. And when I was recruited back then, um, coaches could and schools could introduce you to alums. So Coach K, when I said, well, yeah, I'm interested in this, he, he introduced me to a guy named Chuck Howard, who was uh, a big shot at ABC Sports. And I started working for ABC Sports during the summer. And I was a production assistant. And, and so when I started, but to answer your question, when I first realized, like, okay, I, I want to do this, was when I started doing radio Um I had decided uh, not to pursue coaching when, when my wife and I got married. and We moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. She's an East Coaster, and, and she wanted to live in Charlotte. I was kind of hoping for L.A., where I grew up. But <laughs> we, uh, we decided on Charlotte, and I got an offer to do radio on the, on the radio, or to do games on the radio. And I thought, well, it'll get me out of, my, get me out of the office a little bit. It'd be fun. And, uh, and I figured if, I, if, if it conflicts with my law job uh, as, a, as a full-time attorney, then I'll quit. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it, and I started getting some, some people saying, hey, you don't suck at this. You might want to keep going. And, and one thing led to another, and ESPN started offering me some games, and, and it kind of took off. Do you ever look back and wonder what the coaching path, where it would have taken you, or have you just left that all in the past? Uh, yeah, I do, I do think about it, um, especially when I see some of these contracts. But <laughs> the, the, hard part, the hard part about it was it was really a choice between what was best, what, what we thought was best for our family and, and what was, what I thought was best for me. And so it was a, we over me decision. And both my wife and I grew up in, in households that, uh, we grew up in the same house. You know, our parents still live in the same house that we grew up in. And, uh, and so we wanted, at least for our kids upbringing, we wanted sort of that stability of being in one place. And if I went into coaching, if, if, even if I did well, we'd have to move every five years or so. And uh, while our kids were younger, and and we just didn't think it was the right thing for us. And so, uh, the one thing I miss more than anything is the competitive side of it. Like, there's no when I do a game now, um, I have no skin in the game. Like, it, people don't believe this, but I really don't care who wins. I I I haven't for a million years. Um, I I. I I do so many games. I'm in so many practices. I see so many people. I don't have I don't have the time or energy to care who wins. I just don't. And so when the game's over, you know, we hope we did a good job. We analyze whether we did, but there's not the there's not the the thrill of winning or the the devastation that comes from losing. I don't have that. Uh, and I like to joke all the time. People say hey, you got the best job in the world. And I always joke I never lose. And, and and it's true. I never lose, but I never win either. And, and so I have to find that competitive outlet somewhere else. And, uh, and that's not, that was not the easiest thing to, to lose out on is, is the competitive, you know, sort of that competitive thing that, that you get only in, only in sports and for me, only in basketball. No, and you mentioned it and I, I don't get it. I, I mean, I have no reason to lie to you. I just, people, you know, you always see, oh, well, Billis, he went to Duke, he loves Duke. And it's like, I've watched a million broadcasts with you on it. I don't see it. I've never felt like, oh, and understand, I'm a Spartan. We can't beat Duke, all right? K owns Izzo. I, I wish that weren't the case. But, like, I've never watched a game and gone, oh, my God, i got to listen to this for now. You've managed to just turn it off. You just call the game, and you do it, and you do it with intelligence, and you do it the right way. It's a credit to you because, look, I couldn't do it. I couldn't watch a Michigan State game and do that. I'd have to have a little outlet there. Well, I think you could. I mean, you know, look, I, I look at it a little bit differently than maybe some people do. First of all, with claims of bias, because you, you do hear it. You, you'll have people say, well, well, he, uh, I'll tell you what I hear all the time. Uh, Duke people say, well, he bends over backwards to appear objective, which is, is saying, well, you know, he's a liar. Right. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> and then you'll have, you'll have, you'll have others that say that, that, that say, well, he's biased. You know, he's, he's so biased as if it's my mouth and not their ears, you know, that somehow they're not, they're not biased in how they hear things. It's only biased when somebody says something. And, um, and I don't, you know, you can, you can really go down the list of games and people say, well, he spent, he spent so much time talking about team A. Oh, get a life. 
Yeah, but meanwhile, Team A won by 25 points. Yeah, who are you supposed to talk about? Uh, This team's down by 27, but they're a group of nice kids. I mean, what are you supposed to say? You're going to talk about that more often, but but I don't think fair is difficult. Um, In fact, I think bias would be really difficult. Um, so I don't, you know, having to, having to, to be able to moderate, um, uh, you know, caring who wins, I just don't care. And like, look, all these coaches and players can take care of themselves, call it what it is. And everybody would be fine. Like I, I can sit and say, uh, you know, like when the years when Duke isn't the best team, you know, I'm, I'm right out front saying, Hey, North Carolina is a better team or Michigan state's the best team in the country or wh- whatever you say. Um, uh, but when they are the best team, I say it. And, uh, and this year happens to be one of those years where, where right now they're the best team. And, uh, and it's not, it's really not that big of a deal. So I don't, and especially I'm 55 years old right now. I've got a, I've got a track record. If it's not good enough for some people, I, I, I'm not worried about it. All right. Last three real quick, real easy. Le- le- you can leave North Carolina out. I don't want to get you in any trouble, but least favorite fan base, or maybe I could phrase it most, uh, impolite fan base you deal with. Well, the, every fan base has a lunatic fringe and, and, and uh, nut jobs. And the, the, the biggest lunatic fringe is Kentucky. Now, Kentucky's fan base is fantastic. Uh, I have family members that went to Kentucky. My brother lives in the state of Kentucky. It's fantastic. But their lunatics are crazier than everybody else's lunatics. Who does your suits? Uh, Peter Millar. Uh, I get my suits. Um, I have to have them made uh, for me uh, because I'm a little bigger than the average Joe. But uh, but Peter Millar makes my suits. You're impeccably great. put together on television. We had to ask. And the last one, and I and I I'm really hoping the answer is you have something. Any new book projects? Because I'm just getting into toughness. I know I'm behind, but I want to finish that. But do you have any other designs on future books? Not yet. Um, I was really lucky that, that that book toughness was, uh, was a bestseller and, and did well. And when you have one of those, uh, the publisher wants you to do another one, but I haven't had anything that's moved me to that level. Uh, cause it is a kind of a, a heavy lifting undertaking. I mean, I wrote every word of that myself. Um, and, and, you know, didn't have anybody helping me except for, you know, the editors at the, at the publishing company when I turned in the manuscript, but, uh, but it's, a uh, it, it's not, it's not an easy task, but uh, and I don't know how writers that pump out you know thirty books in their lifetime or whatever I don't know how they do it because it's it's difficult, but not yet. I'm not I'm not closing the door on it, but not yet. Okay, Jay, listen, I, I could talk I could talk to you all day. It's fabulous. Really enjoyed it and appreciate the time. You're the best. No, thank you. Great being with you. Awesome, Jay Billis, the man. All right, thanks for listening as always. If you'd be so kind, we would really appreciate it, especially Roberto's kids. If you would go to iTunes and Radio.com, subscribe, share, and write a review if you feel real passionate one way or the other about what we're doing. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next week.